0: I'm going to go ahead and start with Matthew, the first chapter, the 18th verse. But we are actually going to go to Matthew, the second chapter. That's where we're going to come from today. Matthew, the first chapter, the 18th verse. Now the birth of Jesus Christ, reading out of the Amplified, took place under these circumstances when his mother Mary had been promised in marriage to Joseph Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's called an Immaculate Conception. It's never happened before in time or since this event. It is a one of a kind. And this is why the Bible calls him the unique son of God, the one of a kind. Verse 19. And her promised husband Joseph, being just an upright man and not willing to expose her publicly and to shame and to disgrace her, decided to repudiate and dismiss and divorce her quietly and secretly. In other words, he didn't want to put her through a public humiliation. He's thinking at this point that this pregnancy is of a natural origin. He thinks he's been cheated on. Verse 20. But as he was thinking this over, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, descendant of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from out of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. The Greek form of the Hebrew, Joshua, which means Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. That is to prevent them from failing and missing the true end and scope of life, which is God. All this took place that it might be fulfilled, which the Lord had spoken through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which when translated means God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took her to his side as his wife. But he had no union with her as her husband until... She had born her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now, I'm going to jump over to the King James, if you'll bear with me. Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we see his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of, Ju- of Judah, art not the least among princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, go search diligently for the young man, and when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. And when they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and it stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star... They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. I'm going to stop right there. If I was going to name this title or name this message today, give it a title, I would say, Have you seen his star? Turn to your neighbor and say, Have you seen his star? Turn to the neighbor on the other side say, have you seen his star? If you're at a round table, just go all the way around the table just ask him, have you seen his star? Have you seen his star? It's significant. Now I know there's distraction in the room, there's candy on your table, and man, that would be hard for me, especially those little Andes. Oh, those, are the, those are awesome. But try to get with me if you can over the next few moments. This message really isn't lengthy, but I'll make sure it is. That's my job. (laughs) So who were these wise men? And why are they mentioned so prominently in the story of the birth of Christ? Catholic tradition which gives us what we call the Advent if you don't know what Advent is it's a series of four services that are about hope, love, peace, joy it's a man-made thing it's not necessarily a biblical thing and yet it upholds biblical principle because Jesus gives us all four of those main ingredients that we need in this life. But the Catholic Church also claims to know who the wise men are. Now some scholars say there may have been more than three. Three, are, we, we, we gather the thought of three from the gifts that were brought. But many scholars say there could have been as many as 70. I don't know. But history records three men that they claim came and brought gifts unto the Christ child, Jesus. Their name is Melkor from Persia, Gaspar from India, and Baltazar from Arabia. They're called the Magi, which is magos in the Greek. And that Greek word magos means magic. Turn to your neighbor and say there's something magic about the birth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> but not magic like we're thinking. Not magic like the world talks about. The Persian word is the word ma- mega- megapati. I'll get it out. Megapati. It does not megapati, megapati. It's a title given to the priest of the Zoroastrianism. Zoroastrianism. And today we call them astrologers. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but if we went back to the original calendar in the way the original Hebrew calendar was, we wouldn't celebrate just 12 months of the year, we would have 13 months in a year. And our new year would start in the month of March. If the world went back to that, we could follow the signs that are in the sky the same as these men that have been mentioned. This is how they were able to read what was happening in the Constellants. They saw Virgo passing into Leo. They knew a king, but not just a king, a king, a God like king is about to be born. The biblical reference of the Magi represents Matthew's poke at Pharisees. It's believed that Matthew was a Pharisee and What he's poking at the Pharisees about is that it was the Gentiles who came up with the recognition of the importance of Jesus as Messiah. That even foreign eastern wisdom was greater than that of Israel at the time of the appearing of Christ. He's poking them. He's gigging them like Jesus did. When he walked here on the earth. Why? Because they were dead. 400 years of prophetic silence had just passed at the birth of Christ. They were dead to hearing the voice of Christ because church, as they knew it, had become about posturing. It had become about everything but what it should be. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. The magi's gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh, were gifts given not just to a king, but to a god recognized as king. Now, I don't know if you understand this or not, but in the traditions of antiquity, Kings were often referred to as gods. They wanted to be gods, but this time, a real God king was born. Whose origins weren't of the earth. Every other king who claimed to be God had origins of this earth. You could know who their father and their mother was. But this one... They didn't have DNA testing in the day. But if they had, they would have found out, this ain't Joseph's son. And that was already a rumor going around the watering hole. This is why Jesus had trouble when he came to his own people in his own region. He couldn't even heal but just a handful of people because people couldn't believe in him because they'd heard the rumors. Even though they had scripture that said a a virgin shall give birth, they could not get their mind around it, nor did they want to. The gifts were very valuable indeed and could have set Jesus up for life. No doubt his parents probably used these gifts to fund their two-year exodus in Egypt at the warning that Herod was coming to eliminate the children of the Bethlehem region. The gold stands for deity. The frankincense stands for burnt offering, but not just offering, the offering, the fragrant offering that's pleasant to the nostrils of a king and a god. It's that savor that comes from the heart of the righteous who've been made righteous by Christ Jesus. That when we pray, when we worship, It may just seem like a song service to you. But if your heart engages, it wafts up to the throne of Christ Jesus. And he smells a fragrant smell in his nostrils. And the heavenly father smells a fragrant smell in his nostrils coming from his people who've been set free. (laughs) And myrrh. Speaks to the bitterness of the death. Boy, that was a good one. I got a little extra in there. The death of Christ and how he would suffer to set you free. Myrrh is an embalming fluid. An embalming spice. And every king was embalmed because they wanted their legacy to last forever. They wanted to leave behind memory of their greatness. So these three gifts were brought. To a king, God. And these gifts were given for him to carry out his life's mission. These men were not Jewish. We're talking about the Magi. but they were important to their nations and important to the missions that they were called to. And although they weren't Jewish, they knew Jewish prophecy because Israel at one time had been under Persia's rule. And how many remember the story of Daniel? And Daniel having been raised to a place of prominence under the Persian king, was given the right to talk openly about his God. And he taught the sages and the scribes of a foreign nation, of a nation of foreign gods, about the one true God. And he gave them and them in on the prophecy about there being a God king born to a virgin. And when the Magi read the signs in the sky. You see Jesus didn't show up unexpectedly. Everything was screaming he was on his way. But the church was so dead they couldn't hear it. (laughs) These men were of pagan religious belief, yet they had the power to interpret the signs given in the constellations that pointed to the birth of an unusual king. History doesn't necessarily assign kingship to these men, yet they were men of nobility. They ate with kings like a foreign diplomat. They were given rights when they rode through. They were given diplomacy because they were that important. And they received audience with Herod. And they informed Herod about the birth of Israel's new king. And of course, Jesus had it written over him on the cross, the king of the Jews. It is not that the wise men are wise that is so important. It's not that false religion bowed before the king, Jesus. Think about this. Men... (laughs) of Zoroastrianism men who had beliefs in the stars and beliefs in multiple gods came that day and bowed before the child born king and when they did they bowed to the God king And they brought an offering. When they bowed, they were saying, You, child, are more important than anything we have bowed to up to now. You, little child. Have the government of God upon your shoulders. We offer you gifts because when you approach a king, you don't approach a king without a gift. And when you bring an offering to a king, you don't bring him a crock pot, a blender, a mixer, You bring him something that says that's costly and expensive and would nearly bankrupt you to give it. And you give it to him in homage that he is greater than you, that he is worth more than you can give. And that he is worth more than anything their knee ever bowed to before. Are you still with me? Now it's not about false religion bowing before Jesus that I'm here to talk about today. It's not about the offering even though it's amazing. It's not that they recognize Jesus deity, although that's pretty fabulous, especially if you understand the culture and the time, the era, and the day, in that every nation had its gods, and there were temples to all kinds of gods, but these men bowed and said, this is the God. What stumps me is why did foreigners recognize Jesus coming, but his people did not? I hope that's as heavy in the air as it felt when I released it. The world was looking for him. Uh, The world was looking for him. Men of foreign. Nation foreign origin was looking for him, but not his own. I can understand there were many false messiahs throughout the ages. I understand they had to have some kind of a litmus test an understanding but by the time the church got to here and this situation happened the church was so corrupt and so out of understanding that it did not recognize their own God. Why didn't Herod worship him? Why didn't Herod send a gift? Why did God have to wake up a few shepherds for Christ's first birthday? Herod and the Israeli government was corrupt. Herod was power hungry, drunk on the notion that he was important. And even though he was a puppet king under the rule of Rome, he believed himself to be indispensable. His self-perception of report of importance, his own importance, made him think that, that he should be the posterity. Of Israel. He wasn't looking for a Messiah. He didn't want to hear about a Messiah because he thought he was the Messiah. Too many people try to make themselves gods, especially those, oh, I'm going to say it, in the political realm. Where was the church? Where were the chief where was the chief priest? Where were the Pharisees? Where were the Sadducees? Where were the prophets? Where were the seers? Where were the lawyers of the law? Why weren't they tuned in looking ready for him? Was it back in 2017 or 2018 this same sign passed? over our region, where Virgo moved into Leo. There was a a little bit of hoopla made about it, but no one has realized that the sign of his coming has happened for a second time. It will be 80 years before it happens again. And how many believe, how many understand the day and age we live, we may not even have 80 years? Do you know, I just heard this statistic, I won't get into all of it, but well over 40% of America, I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about the populace of America, about 45% of the populace of America believes that the second coming of Christ is imminent. I'm talking about people in that, in that number, believe it or not, of the atheists and agnostics, 20% of them, people who don't even believe there is a God, say they believe that we're looming to the end. Hmm. 400 years of church silence was broken by pagan gentile origin not the church what the signs of revival came from the world If we've got 40% of America that's going, oh my gosh, something bad's about to happen. That means there is a ripe harvest field waiting for the church of Jesus Christ if we stop placating and playing around inside the walls. Oh, I know that's tough. Stop it, Pastor, this is party day. How did the carriers of the truth miss this? Why was his coming met with opposition instead of embracing him? Why were angels dispatched to celebrate and to announce his arrival? Think about what I'm about to say. Why did God dispatch angels? Because he couldn't find a proper welcoming committee on the earth. How could they miss it? Why would they resist him? Shepherds were invited by angels to come celebrate at the birth of heaven and earth's unique king. Because they were the only folk in the region with enough knowledge of the word to understand the moment they were in. These people were humble enough to worship in wonder and awe and to marvel at the fulfillment of the earth prophets, when the early prophets gave the shepherds the sign that would let them know when the Messiah had come. For when you find a child born of a virgin lying in a manger. You see, the shepherds when they raised the lambs For sacrifice, they were looking for a spotless lamb without mark, without mar, without even a speck of color that shouldn't be there. And when they found that lamb and they were newborn, when they found them, they would bind them cloth, swaddling cloth, and they would set them in the feeding trough, the manger, because they were set apart for spiritual use and sacrifice unto God. The angels invited the shepherds because they knew they were the only one in tune enough to understand this sign. And they went away praising God and telling everybody in the region what their eyes had beheld. Notice that God bypassed telling the church leaders He went to common servants, but he didn't come to the church leaders. Why? Because the church leaders were in no posture or position to be able to hear the truth the church who would later crucify him were already so corrupt that God didn't bother to send them the message they couldn't and wouldn't hear him anyway. What danger is a godly nation in when the church can't hear God? When our pulpits become about pandering, posturing, and shuffling for the appeasement of society and government over the truth, we're in trouble. When playing up to the sinful conduct of the world and society blinds the heart and the mind to the arrival of a long-awaited promise, the church is bankrupt. When a bankrupt church is so blind that it misses its true calling at purpose, at purpose, what hope do the people of the nation have? When the church can't see its purpose anymore, we've come up with a, an appeasement gospel, not just in America, but around the world. We're in a position we've never been in. Other nations have always been pagan. That's the way it was in the time of Israel. Many nations around the world have remained pagan. But we've taken the message even into the pagan nations. Because I was there when the Iron Curtain fell. I was there when the gospel went into Russia. I was there. I have friends on the inside who are preaching the gospel of Christ in an unreserved way. In a place where once it was totally forbidden. So where are we, Church of Jesus Christ? From whatever nation you might be watching from today, where are you, church? When government fails to recognize God, it's because the church is too silent about the truth. So social conscience begins to set the morality of the time. The government always listens to the loudest pulpit. But the world is never more in danger than when God stops speaking to the church. Jesus should have been celebrated, not crucified. He should have been set upon a throne. He should have been treated like a king. His coming and his mission were to wake up the church but instead he had to start a new movement and the church's rejection of God's promise brought about great judgment and destruction in 70 A.D. I'm here today with what is a beautiful message but a sobering one. Passion Church, Church of Jesus Christ. Let's not miss our season. How many have heard that cute little phrase, Jesus is the reason for the season? If you like that phrase, good for you, God bless you. I hate that phrase. You say, really, you'd say that? Yeah, because it's so cliche. It has no feeling, no heart, no purpose. Because when you say that, if you really mean it, you ought to fall on your face. Let's not miss our season. We are posturing around the globe to repeat a past apostasy. We must announce his coming. And we must tell the world. For the longest time after the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, the disciples turned the world upside down and for generation to generation, decade to decade, and millennium to millennium, we have been preaching a life-changing message that turns the world upside down. Many nations have been reshaped and reformed because of the message of Jesus Christ. Countless souls have been born again. And I feel that we're looming on the final push of the church of Jesus Christ. As we feel the closing in of the time and the age in which we live. We must be about the Father's business. Who can say amen to that? He's coming. I'll say that again. He's coming. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. This isn't about hoarding. This isn't about doing what I can get done uh, so that I fulfill my own personal want and gain. This is about telling a world that's desperate for him, who can feel that judgment is looming over the world. It's strong within them. They know something has got to give. They're waiting for a church who still hears their God. They're waiting for a church who still moves in the manifestation of his power who when they lay hands on you, you feel boom a transference of the power and the spirit of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It changes you from the inside out. They're still waiting for those of us who can lay hands on the sick and they recover. They're still waiting They want to know there is a God, there is a king over mankind filled with the power of God himself. Ten more pages, we'll be done. We cannot... Follow the patterns of the past. We don't need pagan announcers or foreign missionaries. Church, we just need to get back to relationship with Christ Jesus. I want to follow in the footsteps of the late but powerful Catherine Kuhlman. When they tried to nail her down and say... What is it? What is the the formula of your success? Do you pray for hours before each service? Here's what she said. She said, no, that would be disrespectful to the Holy Spirit. She wasn't nullifying prayer. What she was saying was I would never be so arrogant to think that I could just call on God when I want him and manipulate him to move for me in my services. Her heart was I live so close to him all of the time, that I never stop praying. I'm so close to him. And these are her own words. I practice his presence with me at all times. This is the difference between the baptism of the original disciples and the watered-down thing we see in the Pentecostal and charismatic realms of the church today is that we want a quick stamp. We want a drive-through window experience. We order through the little box. We come to the window. You throw us a bag, and we go away with our goods. Boy, I got into things I didn't intend to get into. I just flung hunger on everybody in the room. No, she had the right idea. Just lived so close to him. (laughs) I got to tell this story. And then i got to finish. I should have already been finished. Some of you have read this. Catherine Kuhlman's heart eventually gave out. We're all going to die. It's appointed unto man once to die. But in the hospital... She made comment to one of her nurses, and this nurse has made this public in some Benny Hinn meetings. She made a comment that she just wishes she could have some roses in her room before she passed. At the moment of her passing the nurses that were in the room who weren't believers at the time fell on their knees to the weighty presence of God in that room. She had passed but the Holy Spirit her paraclete was in the room her partner her prayer partner who heard her last request and the smell and the fragrance of roses remember she's in icu you're not allowed to have flowers the smell of roses so permeated the room that it began to waft down the hallways the nurses in the room had to crawl out of the room. That, that heavy fragrance of rose went all the way down the hallways, down the elevator shafts, until the entire hospital smelled like roses. And the airport near the hospital had reports from many people traveling that they were overwhelmed with the smell of roses. That's the relationship we need with our God. That even in our death someone is resurrected to life. We must be about the Father's business. Look at your neighbor and boldly say, wake up, slumbering church. There is no time to waste. Set your house in order. This time the lamb is the lion. And he's coming in judgment. This is why it's so important for our generation to snatch every soul from the gates of hell. It is important. It is imperative because he's not coming back as a lamb to save all over again. He's coming back to judge that that has remained hard-hearted and will not be turned. And I, for one, do not want anyone to perish because he doesn't want anyone to perish. So I must set my own household in order. I must get my life right so it counts. I've seen more compromise in the church in the last several years than my soul can hardly stand. We are teetering on the edge of eternity and judgment, and how long are we going to remain unmoved? It's time, according to Isaiah 60 and 1, it is time to arise and shine, for the light has already come. Church judgment looms for our nation. Our enemies are preparing for war. Our economy is being destroyed. Fear rules the day. The masses are in a drunken stupor. Millions have one foot in the kingdom and one in the world, and they think they're okay. This Christmas, can we forget about gifts? And all the children gasped. I don't mean don't give gifts. I mean, can we take the importance off of that? And can we focus in our homes individually on the Messiah? Dads, fathers, husbands. Gather your family this year and turn your living room into a tabernacle of praise. What if we gave the Messiah the Christmas he deserves? A people whose hearts are sold out, passionate, evangelistic, and prophetic. the type of prophetic voice who can hear his voice and speak his truth to the world before it's too late. I want to tell the world in a way that is convicting. And this is my final statement. I have seen his star. I understand he is my king and my God. Father, we thank you. I thank you for these that have been attentive these father who've been glued to every word i thank you god for their heart i pray father this message that's going out online this message father that's being seen by television i pray god that beyond the walls of just passion church but in the living rooms and the lives father Of those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That they'll be able to answer this question. Have you seen his star? Have you seen his star? With every head bowed and every eye closed. Most of you are already doing that. Just real quickly if you're in this room today. And what I've said is spark something in you that you want to go further and deeper in your God. Would you just signify by lifting your hand and say, that's me. Pray with me. Thank you. Thank you. That's honest. That is tremendously honest. I know your faces. I know you've had a born-again experience. That's not even in question. But if you have your hand up, hold it up. Father, I pray for these right now whose hand is up something was sparked in them father to have a closer more powerful walk with you answer their cry right now and let them be able to tell the world I've seen his star let them be able to tell the world through demonstration because of the nurturing of the relationship help them lord to be everything you want and desire in their life. Let them walk as we spoke of, like people like Paul, people like Silas, people like Peter and James and John, who've walked so close to you that miraculous things happened around them simply because their relationship was so close to you help us to turn this world father and the last final push for mankind before the second coming of Christ his sign has already gone across the sky he's just waiting for the final roundup and God I thank you for empowering these those of you who are watching online and by television if you've never met the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can right here and right now. You don't need you don't need a preacher to grab your hand. All you need is to bow in humility. And if you will bow in humility right now, I'm going to pray with you and you ask Christ to show you the fullness of his deity. Lord Jesus, I pray for these that are watching online by television I ask Father right now that you help them in their resolve realizing their life is not measuring up we ask you Jesus to be the Lord of our life teach us how to walk with you teach us how to talk to you in humility teach us how to be led by you and not self led Help us to live our life, Father, in such a way that it changes the world around us. And we ask it all, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you did that, please let us know. Please look us up and let us know that you made that commitment today. God bless you.